1: Well, you know,
3: I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like, you can't stop
1: greatness.
4: (laughs) You're listening to Sapnin' Podcast.
2: Sapnin! Sapnin! You are listening to episode 252 featuring myself,
4: Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards. And will someone shoot that fucking snake? Sorry, I didn't mean to kill the rhythm. Oh, fuck it. Do you have? I'm just rolling with the punches on this one. You're going to be covered in fucking punches if you carry on. Are you done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that right, little... yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's all I can do. This week's guest. Is the brilliant, lovely, and for some reason he's a good friend of mine. I mean, his end, not my end, because I like him a lot. Is the mighty <laughs> Steph Carter, formerly of Gallows, the Ghost Riders in the Sky, and Lioness, now of Marshall
4: Amplification, uh, representation? Yeah, he is literally a hardcore and punk guitar royalty. Gallo's original member and head of education at Marshall Amps, which is a really fancy title uh, (laughs) in the scheme of things. But as someone who has had such an impact on so many different aspects of the music industry and this episode all came about because, well, let me paint the picture here, right? We were at 2000 Trees Festival backstage. We just finished our work for the day recording stuff over the summer. I went off to watch uh, a band, and I came back to see Sean giggling like I've never seen him giggle before, standing there with Steph Carter, and it just seemed like the two of you had been stood there for ages, reminiscing some really old times, and just catching up. Do you make it sound like uh, giggling, like I fancy Steph Carter? Maybe you do. I'm not, I'm not putting those allegations out there. I'm just saying you were like two schoolgirls, just like... Don't start with allegations
2: this week. Don't start with (laughs) allegations this week. I'm seeing fucking idiots defend a man they've never met. It's mad. Hey, listen. If you believe it's a conspiracy against Russell Brand because he's been saying things that you want to be true, he's groomed you too. Anyway, uh, yes, I love Steph Carter and I was giggling like a school child, because, yeah, we were just reminiscing, having good times, and I was trying my fucking hardest to get Carlos back together. And at one point, like, I laid it on so thick that I thought, oh, he's going to fall on right now. And then I realised Frank was (laughs) about to go on stage very soon. So I was like, oh, probably probably best not have the call now. But, um, yes, it was a fucking great time of 2003. Like I go on to say in this episode, it was one of my favourite highlights of festival season, other than Uh, The blackout reforming and playing to a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful crowd of people. If you were there, I love you. If you missed it, shame on you. Come see us in February.
4: (laughs) Yeah. So after all that happened, I thought back in my mind, "Ooh, that would make a really good podcast. Uh, So we finally got to do it this past week, sat down with him and just got into so many different aspects of his life. And really throughout this, not only is there a really honest, deep insight into his time in Gallows leaving the band in 2013, moving on and all the deep mental health struggles that would come with something like that. But a crash course at his work with Marshall, why they aren't just an amp company and doing their part to help everyone in the music industry at the moment. There's so many different nuances and aspects of this conversation. I think a lot of you uh, will enjoy, so make sure you tune in for all of it. And, um, there might be some talk of maybe original Gallows as well, but maybe getting back together. Oh, hey, hey, maybe. Hey, hey, hey. Oh, ah? Ah? <laughs> Before all that, um, I just wanted to give a massive shout out to our Patreon. We mention them every week. They do help this thing in going, and it's a huge, huge help uh, for us at patreon.com for slash sapin um, But this week, one of them, Keris Andrews, put on a wonderful one-day festival in cardiff raising money uh, for a very very good cause and uh, she got loads of our patrons involved with some of the other bands and projects and loads of them attended i managed to go down for a little bit and to see the amount late. of people late. very late very late, late. I, had a, I had a family thing i couldn't get out of uh... from Seeing so many people embrace each other and something like that going on was absolutely incredible. So I want to give a massive shout out uh, again to Keris and everyone involved and just putting beautiful touches on this mad, mad world. Yes,
2: I went down myself. I saw Stone Pit Drive. They were really cool. Bridge the Divide. They were very, very good. I saw Nothing Minor play their first ever gig. I wish my first gig was as attended and accepted as they were because they had a fucking great response i missed kyle pay the man which is a shame i turned up just after his set i believe they've raised um at least 1200 quid for cancer care unit uh in cardiff so well done Caris. super proud of you you've absolutely smashed it Let's maybe do a Sapning podcast live from there next
4: year. Ooh, maybe that somehow. would be that would be very interesting. Uh, if you want to have a look at the stuff yourself as critical creators on uh, Instagram, and a shout out to a uh, Minty's Gig Guide who did a lovely interview video with Keras as well um, online that you can go and watch. But uh, remember to go and follow us at Satmin Pod on Twitter and Instagram or X or whatever the fuck you want to call it uh, to get X. involved. Leave us some messages, whatever. Uh, and let's just get straight into it. This is the incredible Steph Carter with some mind-blowing stories on episode 252 of Saplin Podcast.
1: Yes! Yeah. Saplin! Saplin! <laughs>
4: Sapnin! Sapnin! Sapnin!
1: Yes!
2: Yes, this week's guest is guitarist, songwriter, tutor, martial amplification representative, and a very good friend of mine. He won't like that out in the public, so please ignore that if you know <laughs> Steph well. It's the mighty Steph Carter! Woo! Hello, boys. How are you? Good. I'm all right, yeah. Good definitely happier for seeing you so that's thank um, you
3: very much I mean that's mutual yeah that's an actual fact um but <laughs> yeah how are you how, how's things I'm good man things are good it's exciting times at the minute with everything going on here in Camp Marshall and then outside of that I've been doing some songwriting working in the studio with people spent the last 30 days trying to write 30 songs in 30 days and uh, I've managed I managed to get 40 songs in 30 days is where we ended now. So yeah. Nice. So what's that for? Is it for a potential album or? Literally, (laughs) I, I bought a new guitar. I've been really like, um, uninspired for ages. I don't know if you get that, Like, You go through these waves where all of a sudden you don't want to look at a musical instrument or have anything to do with it. And then all of a sudden it changes again and you get this buzz where it's like, Fuck, I can't put it down. And that kind of happened. I bought a new guitar. um, I bought a pink Strat. And then it just out of nowhere, this love for music came back. And I just thought, fuck it. Let's see if I've still got what it takes to write loads of punk songs. So I just, I did. I just went for it. Sent them to a friend of mine from, um, who lives in Seattle, from the UK, but lives in Seattle. And he's played bass on it. And we're now working out what we're gonna do with it. And we're thinking about getting to fifty-two songs and next year just releasing one song a week for every week (laughs) of the year. And then it's not a bad idea. Figuring out like, do we do we do it every month? We get a new vocalist on board. So it's like twelve different mini bands (laughs) that happen over the case of a year and stuff. So I don't know, we're just we're just having fun with it. I've written all my I've written like two guitar parts and drums for all the songs. And then I've sent them to him and I've just gone, I don't care what you do with it, just do what you want. Bear in mind, all the songs I've written them all in 45 minutes, so that's your time limit. Wherever you get to in 45 minutes, put it down. I'm not approving anything. (laughs) Whatever you send me is what goes on the song. That's the way we're going to do it. And that's what I think we're going to do with vocalists instead, is just say to them, here's a song. You've got 45 minutes, just do something, send it back to me, and whatever you send me, that's the song.
4: Yeah. It's like giving them their own, uh, the mini challenge. I was going to say should try and get 52 vocalists, but the idea of the logistics of all that would be pretty much a headache.
3: We did talk about that yesterday and we were like, do we just do 52 vocalists? And then we were talking about all these different ways to release it. And we were like, ah, what we could do is we could release one physical per number. So number one just has one physical. So that's the only one that exists by the time song 52 comes out there's 52 physicals so just and we we went through this chat yesterday where we just kept going back and forth and by the end of it i was like how the fuck have we got here this is ridiculous <laughs> <that we're
1: laughs>
4: discussing this." oh incredible well steph this is why we wanted you on for what well, for many reasons but you've just got such a, a career doing all these different stuff and mentioned song there and setting yourself these challenges and being inspired and then Coming in and out with it. I mean, when you look back at at your songwriting career and the bands you've been in, and mixing that up with Marshall and your work there, kind of behind the scenes, how do you see yourself in the industry now? I mean, how do you feel like your career has changed and just your outlook on music and just mixing all of this together?
3: um I, I don't know that's a weird one i think where i see myself in in the music industry right now is probably i'll always call myself a musician Like uh, first and foremost that's I, i'm a i'm a guitar player and like, it was a such a big part of my life was being defined by as sean and i had this conversation at trees being in that band hmm. do you know like yeah played in gallows for years and that for a long time that was i was steph from gallows and that was it and then as i kind of went through the other bands i've done post that i mean ghost riders the band i did directly after gallows was the whole point and purpose of it was for me to write the stark, complete opposite of gallows to prove to myself i could do it and then when i moved into lioness it was just more a case of having fun playing music that sounded like black sabbath because why would you not want to be in a band that sounds like <laughs> Black Sabbath? Um, and then uh, through the years, I've like spent time like producing records, doing mixing and mastering for people, and doing songwriting for other people, and educating, and the rest of it. Prim- primarily, I just I see myself as a musician who's done a bit more than just playing a band, and I think that's probably how I'll always see it.
4: Well, you, you touched on there, and um, you know, you and Sean at Trees. I caught you guys just giggling and like having a big uh, <laughs> reminiscence of tours gone by and life and all that. But it was two hours. I think we talked <laughs> we, like we just talked for two hours. I went to watch a band, came back, noticed you two were talking, stood there for ten minutes, going, "I'm not going to get a word in here." I went off and I came back <laughs> later. You still there? I was like, "All right, fair, fair play to them.
2: Yeah, some people s- claim we're still there now, apparently. <laughs>
3: a very cathartic experience i think for both of us
2: not very much so no it was it was basically like a a, a catch-up meets therapy i guess because yeah we talked yeah. about everything from back in the day to stuff we're all up to now the future hanging on in there um like you said we talked about like you being Steph from gallows me being shown from the blackout and stuff like that and yeah, it was, it was a fucking brilliant catch-up. And I'm, glad, I'm super glad we had it, to be honest. And it was
4: probably one of the highlights of my weekend catching up again. Yeah, yeah, mine too, mate. Off the back of that, I mean, as you said there, like it's such a hard thing moving on from something when you're known for a certain part of your life. And obviously, Gallows was such an influence to that hardcore scene within the UK and beyond. How did you process life after Gallows in many ways? Because it couldn't have been easy stepping away from it, especially when you think you and Frank are brothers and have been in that since you were kids and then him leaving, you staying for a little bit longer, you leaving. I'm sure just a very emotional and mentally draining experience to kind of find yourself again after moving on from something you've been a part of.
3: Yeah, I think the easiest way to put it is... (sighs) how did I handle it badly is probably <laughs> the easiest way to put it as probably most people do when they end kind of something like that. But it, it was, a, it was really tough for me because when, when Frank left him, him and I always had these discussions when we were in, when we started, I started the band with them. So they were a band first and I joined later, but when things started going and things started working well, him and I had these conversations where we were like, right. If, if one of us wants to leave, we both leave. And what we do is we will capitalize on as much of it as we can. And we can make a plan to tick everything off the list we want to do. And then we can call it a day and then that's the end of it. But you know, let's, let's do it this way. And when, when he left, I remember we, we just spent, we'd spent loads of time writing new songs and he, him and I just finished working on this song together and I, I like, he went to the airport and. I then sent this mix to the rest of the guys in the band and then he landed in New York and he just phoned me because he was living in New York at the time and he called me and just went yeah I quit I'm out and I was like what the fuck do you mean you quit you're out like we've, we've just written one of the best songs we've done it's fucking such a good song like what, what do you mean you're out and it, for him and I at that point we had a really turbulent couple of years in our relationship with each other and you know we We went through whole fits of time where we either didn't speak to each other or we were in a Wagamama's near our old management office having like a near full-blown fist fight with each other over the table while Claire, our manager, was just there like trying to stop it from happening because we were arguing about a song that we'd kind of both written that both of us wanted to use for a new project moving forward. So... I handled it really badly when I came to leave in, he left, I carried on with band and I did an EP and I did an album with band. And I, I, I'm not going to lie. I was on quite a lot of, um, like mental health medication at that time period. And I have very little memory of what that period of my life was like between writing that EP and then writing the, the self-titled third record to the point where a couple of months back i was out with some friends and we were in a pub that had a jukebox and one of my friends went and always goes and put fucking gallo songs on <laughs> one of those things and they put that third record on and came back and sat at the table and were like what do you think of this and i was like yeah it's cool who is it and they were like Mad. this is the third record you did and i was like i have absolutely no idea if- these songs wow. <laughs> so i've just i completely written them out and then like it was only a couple of weeks back where i spent the time to actually sit down and listen to it properly again because i just i'd closed the door on that part of my life you know we've we've had these discussions so many times about going back and doing a reunion run of shows with the original lineup and then doing some other bits and Every time we get to a conversation, we get to a point where is it going to happen? Someone then comes in and says no, and then it doesn't happen. So a few years back, I just officially shut the door on it. And I was like, I'm done. I'm not going to do it. I just shut the door to all of it and tried my best to just do everything to not be Steph from Gallows ever again. Um, and then as time went, went on, I was able to kind of look back on it. And you always look back on things with like rose tinted glasses. And I was able to look back on it with those rose-tinted glasses and remember it for the the good times of what it had rather than the upset and the agony that came with it. And then uh, I did quite a lot of repair with the guys in the band. So Lags and I now speak a lot. We're we're close. Like Lee and I put our shit to bed. Um, Stu and I, I think we're all right when we left. We've never really had the chat, but he lives in LA now. And then Frank and I a number of times have spent the time to build our relationship back together i mean right now we're probably in the best we've ever been as brothers even when we were Good. in the band nice. together like it's we've we've really worked on it together both of us are I'm gonna say in our mid to late 30s, mid 30s <laughs> <probably> <laughs> feels, feels more comfortable to say um so yeah we're, we're both in that part of our lives i think mean, you know <laughs> we've both spent a lot of time working on ourselves to work on that shit, to get it, to get it under wraps, to get it together where we can like look back on it now. And as we were doing at trees, look back on the fun parts of it and just kind of the, the shit parts of it. You let them go. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. I'm so glad. Yeah. I'm so glad that you,
2: you and Frank are doing well because yeah, I've just got a lot of love for your family, everybody, um, including, uh, Aunt, aunt Marie, um, <laughs> as well.
3: Auntie Mari.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mari, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah she Shh. comments
2: on my Facebook all the time. I love it. I fucking love it. <laughs> I love it. How did you, how did, how did the job with Marshall come about?
3: So I, I've be, been working in education for a while and I know the guy who's the studio manager here at Marshall. He, um, when I left the band, I did a lot of work doing like, youth work stuff like recording work for youth connections so teaching kids in the local area how to do recordings and adam the studio manager here worked with me when we did the youth connection stuff and i was working at like a collection of colleges um as a curriculum developer at the time so my my job was mapping industry to education so getting people to come in and do master classes and like get the kids to do like experiential learning stuff so not box ticking nonsense fun stuff that's relevant to what you're going to do in your career and i got a phone call from adam one day and he was just like look i've just got a job running a studio at marshall and i've been out of the game for a while um can you help me out And i was like yeah sure so i was like recording a band that night and i was like come to the studio tonight and um you know you can sit in and like just watch the session from the back and just get used to it again. So he turned up and I introduced him to the band and I was just like, right, there's the desk. And I just left and I was like, you got this Adam, right? <laughs> I just walked out <laughs> and I was like, this is either going to go really well or fucking terribly. <laughs> and I waited like 15 minutes and I went back in and he was just in full swing. Like he knew what, exactly what he was doing. I was like, it's the easiest way to get someone back in it. Throw them in the deep end and they figure it out nine times out of 10, or they curl up in a ball and cry. So he was doing that and then like we we kind of carried on chatting back and forth and I gave him some contacts I had for studio stuff, and was like, look, if you need anything, chat to these people. They'll give you anything you want. If you're struggling with anyone, let me know and I'll see if I can introduce you to anyone else. And then he, uh, he called me and was like, so you know how I told you I had six months to get the studio up and running before the first band's in? I was like, yeah. He's like, I've got two weeks. i was like what do you mean you've got two weeks and he was like they've changed it no twins are coming in in two weeks Hmm. to use the studio um because of all the stuff you give me can you come and help like put it together so it's like yeah fuck it so i went in as like a pro tools engineer to help make the desk talk to all of the pro Tools system and everything else and when i say like they needed help. The first day I went in, we spent a whole day unboxing microphone stands <laughs> while <laughs> the guy that was putting the desk in was still connecting the desk oh, up in the control room. Wow. Like That's how close to the wire we got. Yikes. So we spent, we spent a day unboxing things. Then we spent a day unboxing guitars and toys and stuff like that and making it work. Then we spent a day clearing stuff up. And then we got to the end of the week and then it was like, right, let's see if we can make something happen. So we then got everything working together. And then on the very last day, we got... Steve, who's like the product trainer for Marshall, Harry, who's uh, like the Natal, one of the Natal guys, the drum company we own. Uh, My wife came in and we were like, right, we need to record a band together. So we put them together with a guy called Joe who was helping put everything together in the studio. And we were like, what song can everyone play? And they did a really shit version of Bad Moon Rising like on repeat for about two hours while Adam and I tried fault-finding things to make it work. And we, ma- we managed to do it. We, we did it like did it in the time frame. Nova twins came in the next week and then recorded that record that ended up being like mercury nominated and yeah. all this ridiculous stuff. That it got, which is, uh, you know, amazing. They're a phenomenal band and like just one of those bands that hit at the right time. And they're just going from strength to strength to strength. So during that week, when we were doing all the crazy nonsense of building the studio and putting it all together, um, I, I met the commercial director for the company, um, and he was a guy my age and we just got on really well and like he was like you know I really like you and the stuff that you know you're doing and your education background and when I left I just said to Adam I was like get me a meeting with Alex so that we can just talk like just I want to chat to the guy like about anything because this was such a fun week and I'd love to come and do it again so we ended up getting a meeting, came and sat with him, and he was like, I'd be interested in you doing some like experiential education stuff for us. So he's like, all I want you to do is think like low numbers of people, but high impact sessions. So 20 people, and we get that many people in a room, and you can deliver whatever you want, as long as it's in some way, shape, or form to do with music or the music industry. You do you. We're going to have no involvement in the process of telling you what to do. And I was like, this, is, this makes no sense to me whatsoever. <laughs> like this is the most backwards thing I've ever heard in my life. So I was like, all right, fuck it. I'll do it. So I put these four sessions on. And I did like a music industry day and I did like a beginner's recording day and advanced recording day and like a live sound day. And my, uh, my wife came to the first one, which was a music industry day. And like, my wife is, she's like, she's about, she's about this big and she's, in her head she's like seven foot tall she's a powerhouse of a person and i had this first day did this big music industry day it was really good loads of people came they all had a really good time and it was like people just asking questions about shit they wanted to know about the music industry all throughout the day and at the end of it alex came over and was was chatting and g was there and she was like what did you think then you know are you happy with what steph done for you and he was like, yeah, you know, the, we, you know, all the stuff we've been talking about, this is exactly what we wanted. So she just went, when are you going to give him a job then? <laughs> yes! yes! And I was stood there like, I was fucking mortified. <laughs> just stood there like, ah, uh, fuck. But it turns out that a couple of weeks later, he just sent me an email. I was like, I can't stop thinking about what your wife said to me. What's it going to take? And I was like, fucking quits in. So I told him and then, you know, we had a couple of emails back and forth came in to deliver that final live sound session. And during that final session called me over at lunchtime and just went, let's have a chat jobs on the table. When can you start? And that was it. So I went into the college the next day, handed my notice in and was like, I'm going in four weeks. And they're like, you have a three month notice period. And I was like, I'm going in four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Four weeks later, I left the college and started the job at Marshall. And that's it. I did like I'm, my job here at the minute is the head of education. Um, I did six months of being the head of education and then our marketing director went on maternity. So I took over as the acting head of marketing for a couple of months. Wow! And then we're now looking at what the future is going to look like for everything. And it's it's a very exciting future coming.
2: Yeah, nice. Well, two things, two things. Number one, um, surely your missus gets a finder's fee, <laughs> right? She's got to give her at least 20% of everything now for sorting that out. She's got you the job. I mean that's standard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> imagine telling Steph Carter in 2005 what he'd be doing now. It's fucking mad when he's like, "Oh, mate,
3: I like, I, I, I am in like a playground every day, and uh, I, you know, I've, I've played every fucking amp you can imagine out there, <laughs> and every time I've always either a gone back to Marshall or b." had a marshal behind the back and the sound you've always heard from me is this red amp I've got that's always been there regardless of what has been put on the stage because someone from our management company said can you please use this for a favor my red marshal is the amp that you can hear all the time on everything so now every day that I come into the building the first thing I do is I walk up we've got like a balcony in the in the reception area and it's like a museum and it's got Kind of nearly one of all the things we've made. And in the museum is number one first one ever made. It's just in a glass case. So every wow. day I come into work, I just go and look at it. And like if I'm ever having a shit day, I'll just go and stand up there for five minutes. And I'm just like, like snap out of that. Look at where you are, look at what you're doing. Working for the fucking king of amplifiers, doing my dream job of just working in music, supporting young bands, working with bands on our label and our agency going to festivals, doing everything fun and exciting. And yeah, I, I would never have imagined this is where I'd be now.
4: I just love hearing stories like that and how the journey just takes you to different experiences. I know you said you're kind of doing a lot of different jobs at the moment, but head of education just sounds like a very, very importantly posh title. But it seems like uh, you're just getting to do uh, so much with Marshall because it's not just an amp company. You know, you are looking at other bands. There's just so much going on in that family tree. Yeah, of course. You know, like Marshall is a really weird one because
3: they're not only are they a, a company in the MI world that looks after musicians and looks after guitar players, but like they've transitioned into the consumer electronic side of it with headphones and speakers. Like the amp side of the business... It's really interesting because it, it's relevant. The products we sell on the amp side of the business are relevant to people who can play guitar, right? But outside of that, the badge itself means so much to people who can't play an instrument because it's every single one of their favorite bands. They relate to that badge being something to do with Hendrix or Slash or Cla- like anyone you can think of has used these amps. And they've been on some of the most famous stages in the world. So when you look at it from that point of view, the amp brand looks after people who play guitar, the group side of it, the headphones and speakers, they look after anyone who likes music in any way, shape or form. So we can able, we've transitioned the brand to a way that looks after everyone, regardless of where you come into from music as a music lover or as a rock star, it doesn't fucking matter We've got you covered in this weird little ecosystem. And the brand itself now is at a point where we've got a record label, we've got the recording studio, we've got a live agency. We've got all these things that really support artists, but they, they really put artists first. Like our record label, Prime Example, on the way Marshall Records works, when a band has recouped their deal, the band gets 75% of all the money coming in. Whereas when you look at it from a major point of view, it's like 80, 20 to the label. Whereas we're 75, 25 to the band. So it's the way to put the money back in the hands of the people that make the music, because ultimately they're the people who sit at the top of the pyramid. Like they're the most important people out of all of it. Not the people in a fucking suit, shutting the door and being a gatekeeper It's the people that make the fucking music. Being part of a company that is really supportive and ethical about supporting musicians the right way is a huge benefit to me for someone who's been through the system in a way where Warner Brothers owned those two Gallows albums until I'm 75.
4: Oh, wow. (laughs) Wow. So in about two weeks, you get him back.
3: Yay! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry.
4: I'm so sorry. Um,
2: I couldn't help I couldn't help it. Oh, God. <laughs> From your punk background, like you coming into this job is, it's absolutely perfect. Like I, c- I couldn't really think of anybody who's more on point for that and for young bands and for looking after bands as well. Cause like you said, you've been through the system. Like. You, yeah, you know about labels, you know about the agents, you know about what managers do. And yeah, it's just, it's just awesome to see you doing it and living it and helping other bands. Um, is there Thanks, any bands on, on Marshall Records
3: that we might not know of that we should check out? Yeah, there's a band that we've actually had in the studio today. There's a band called Nur and the Loners. And they are, they're a young band and they are, they're a young punk band. And they've, in fact, they've been in the studio today and we've been recording a a live session for XFM for them from the studio here today. And they are, they're wicked. They've got a song called Protest Anger and it's such a good song that's so relevant for today from a bunch of young musicians that are playing music that's beyond their years definitely check out them. We've got some really good bands on our live agency and split across our label as well. There's a band called Gallus who are really good, who you might not know of. They're wicked. Uh, A band called Jen and the Degenerates who are on the label and the agency. They're wicked as well. And we've got, we've got a band upstairs. We've got like in the studio, we've got an artist development room in the studio as well. We've actually got a band up there right now doing an artist development session called comfort. So they've come up from Brighton and we bring bands in give them a shot to be in the in the room with my team and what we do is they bring songs in and we just pull them to pieces again and we rebuild them from the ground up so they walk away with different ideas and perspectives on the way their music should sound teaching people to have that critical ear yourself because if you can get to that point where you yourself as the musician and as the artist can listen to your music with a critical ear that isn't based on ego (laughs) or you know emotion you can listen to your songs in a different way and you can walk away with a different skill set being able to work on stuff yourself that normally you'd have to pay quite a lot of money to do it with someone else so when we offer those sessions to people for nothing we don't charge anything for them and it's just come in and use it take our time and let's get you to the point where you can go and do this yourself like that's the big thing for me with this is Bands are so desperate to sign to a manager, to sign to an agent, to sign to a record label because someone else does it all for you. Whereas if you learn how to do that stuff yourself, one, you make way more fucking money (laughs) being able to do it all yourself. And two, if it goes tits up, because let's be honest, at some point in your musical life, it's going to go tits up and you're going to have to start again. You know what you're fucking doing. Whereas if you leave it to the hands of everyone else to do it all for you, when it goes tits up, you just start again going, oh, fuck. How do I do this now? Because everyone else has done it for me for years. And We spoke about that at Trees. Like you, when the music industry eats people up and it throws them out, spits them out on the other side. And when it spits them out, it spits them out where they started, not where they ended.
2: Yeah. So, like, so
3: for what we're doing here, if, if we get to a point where we're not spitting anyone out, we're shaking hands and saying, now's the time for us to go this way and you to go that way, take all the skills you've done and at least you start from this many levels up the ladder to go on to do whatever you want to do next. Because the music industry doesn't need to be about fucking competition. It should be about community. Oh, I, I completely agree.
4: It sounds like your day-to-day is just completely different depending on what's going on. And it's nice that you can be in that situation where, if needed, you can give advice from different aspects of the industry and your own experiences and everything as well. Is there anything in particular, like a certain piece of advice you notice that really hits home or certain subjects that bands really benefit from that they don't really get to see until they're really in it i think
3: if we take it from the recording point of view that critical ear thing is so key to people because the first time you're in a room with someone and they rip your song to pieces like they rip your baby to pieces this is like the inside of your soul that you've crafted for ages and you've shown it to someone and they've gone yes now shit take this out take this out change that move that bit to there move that to there and you kind of walk away feeling defeated and deflated but it's it's trying to teach people the mindset that it's whatever's best for the song only no one's no one's being a bully for the sake of being a bully what they're trying to do is they're trying to give that song the best possible chance it's got in a world where i think the stat i heard was something like 180,000 songs are uploaded to spotify I'm going to say a week, but I think it was a day. Yeah. And like, if you think about it from that perspective, what fucking chance have you, do you know what I mean? What chance have you got unless your song is doing the right thing, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus and all that nonsense that people say. But like, even when we were touring, there were Kerrang, Metal Hammer, Rock Sound, Big Cheese, a couple of other music magazines that I can't think of off the top of my head, but there were at least six or seven, right? And every week, each one of those had a brand new band on the front cover every week that was the most exciting band that you could hear that week, right? That's And when you look at, at the time, I was always looking at it going, fucking hell, how can each one of these bands be the most exciting seven times over every week? And now you look at playlists, how many like – editor's playlists are there where there's a new band on the front cover of that every single week there. People can make music from home and you could literally record the shittiest song in the world and upload it to Spotify yourself, probably for about 20 quid if you use digital distributor. Whereas that was never the case back when you had to, to get songs on Spotify, you needed to be part of a distribution network that had a minimum of X number of songs for you to get them up on there or X number of releases up on there. So it it was a bit more complicated back then. And also now recording equipment and especially bedroom and at home recording equipment is so on point that you can get gold from your bedroom. You can also get shit from your bedroom if you don't properly know how to use it. And then you can upload that either gold or shit to Spotify for the world to hit. And it's about having that like the strategic brain. So part of it is the creative and critical ear to your music but then the other side of it is thinking like all right when you release that song how are you promoting it how are you playing shows to promote the song when you play a show to promote the song if you've got the next show booked in the same town that you can talk about the night you play that show so that not only have you got a new song coming out to line up with the next time you play it but every time you play you've got something for people to come back to they're the things younger bands especially don't seem to understand It is that it's the structure that goes around actually making it work because at the end of the day being in a band is it's a job and that's the thing people don't seem to understand it it's a serious job that you really have to take the time to learn and understand because you are your own business you are your own brand and if you get the brand part of it wrong early It's a lot harder to claw it back later or to change it or to be five, six years down the career of your band and go, we've just written the best song of our lives, but no one's cared so far. What do we do? Do we release this one or do we change our entire image and put it out under a new name and pretend we've never been a band before? It's that that sort of shit that in today's music industry is a lot harder to kind of get on top of because music is so easily accessible to everyone.
4: Well, yeah. Seriously, appreciate you sharing all that. It's nice to see that you 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 get into just get involved so much in in different aspects of uh, the industry now. But if we rewind it um, a little bit, I mean, you two have toured so much times together. You know, uh, Gallows and the Blackout. I've heard a few uh, hilarious moments from Warp Tour in particular. Um, so I would just love for you guys just to trade some, uh, old road stories if, uh, if that's, uh, okay.
2: <laughs> well, the other day I, um, yeah, the other day I was on YouTube and I was going through, um, Gallows Warp Tour 2009 <laughs> videos and just watching Frank slag every band off, right? That he hates, right? But then have to pretend that he likes the blackout, right? was, I, every day I was just like, bro, just call us out, like, it's fine, I get you, we're not your cup of tea, it's absolutely, please, and it turns out now, he was slagging Jeffrey Star off every day, that could have been me, <laughs> perhaps I could have been the, the biggest makeup artist, fucking seller in the world, yeah, but um, yeah, we had some fucking great times, thank you very much constantly for letting me come up and steal a microphone. Oh mate, always. Uh, yeah, I know I'm not cool, but that made... Um, yeah, that would, that would make my fucking life every day.
3: Stop being so self-deprecating. Oh,
2: oh, this what this is what this is for. Come on. Same, and this <laughs> is what happens, There, yeah, Come on.
3: We know, man. We know. We know how it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, remember the time... Um, <laughs> why, were, why were we running? Were we chasing
3: Reese? We might have been chasing We were Reece. chasing... We were playing a game. And the game... <laughs> we were playing a game, and the game was like let's see if we could put reese in a bin right right no i know what this is right so at the beginning of warp
2: tour right reese said to us he was like boys That's i want to get <laughs> i want to get fit over warp tour what can we do for exercise and we were like hey none of us are fucking get up to exercise <laughs> and he was like right then boys new games for me to keep my fitness up if you can catch me you can put me in a bin so Reese <laughs> <laughs> tried to spend every day running away from anybody that would go near him because he'd get put in a bin. So, um, yeah, that's how he tried to keep his fitness up. So, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Steph. Um, I just no, remember that madness.
3: You tell it because you're going to tell it way better than I am. But it's because <laughs> I think that the story, basically, the way the story ends and then Sean can come in and fill in the gaps is we're running, trying to catch Reese um Frank and I run one way thinking we can catch him. So we run around this one way and then Bob and Sean and Reese are all running the other way. And as we get around the corner, we see Reese fly past us. And then we turn around the corner to see Bob sliding on his face <laughs> towards us where he's literally tripped down the hill and just slid on his face past me and Frank. And Sean just comes around the corner to just see me and Frank standing there, just pointing, going, hey, look at this guy. And that's all you've seen. And you've gone, what the fuck is going on?
2: <laughs> I remember, right? So you and Frank were going around the, the one way. Frank saw Bob fall and somehow, right, we, we talk about it to this day, leapt up a wall and was standing on a wall pointing down at Bob, just laughing at him. For for skidding on his face and chest. Oh, it was fucking brilliant. Oh, everybody found that funny apart from Bob, obviously. Oh, it was fucking great. That was the highlight of Warp Tour. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking about this the other day as well. So I found out Michael Jackson was dead, right? When I landed <laughs> in LA for the beginning of our Warp Tour, right? So we came on from Pomona, I think it was. We were in Gary, Indiana, the home of Michael Jackson, the day of his funeral in L.A. So there's a... Okay, I don't no. know if you remember that, but that's a fact. We were all there. We were in the hometown of Michael Jackson the day he was apparently being laid to rest. i got to say, apparently conspiracy theorists listening. Oh, God. Well, yeah, we had some... I had some fucking great times on that tour. Did you ever get any backlash off any of those bands that Frank would call out? Did, Did you Jeffrey um,
3: Star step up at any point? No, we had a couple of people who'd be like, we had a couple of people who would come up to us and just be like, I hear you've got, a pro-. they walked to us full of like a lot of American bands who were proper bravado and proper like, at times there were really good bands on, and at times it was a bit of a dick swinging contest with a lot of those bands. And people would be like, we'd, we'd be in the line for dinner and someone would come up and they'd be like, I can't remember the name of the band, so I'm just going to say fucking Dave for the sake of this. And they were just like, oh, Dave's looking for you, man. He's fucking, he's fucking pissed. For what you said yesterday, and we'd be in the line for dinner, and we'd see the guy, and we'd just call him over and we'd be like, "What's the problem? You ban shit." <laughs> <laughs> and the guy would just come up, and Frank would just be like, "If you've got a problem, like let's just fucking talk about it." I think he band's rubbish. That's it. We think I, I think my band's better than yours. Like. I'm, if you want to fight, cool, but I'm just telling you a fact. And most of the time, they just turn around and be like, yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, okay. And there was one time where like, Frank would give out this this speech on stage and he'd be like, he'd be like, we've got, you know, we play one song and then he'd be there and he'd be like, you know, there's, you've seen more heart on the stage in this last three minutes than you've seen for the rest of the fucking show you've seen a walk Tour. He did it every day. And there was this one day we, we were like, What was weird because you headline or you you Mm. can either play at 11.30 in the morning or fucking nine o'clock at night, depending on who you pissed off that day. Depends on where on the bill you go the (laughs) next day. And like, there was one day where we pissed off Kevin Lyman for doing something with the the golf buggies. Were you on the tour when we did the golf buggy thing? We did this thing. Someone basically, we we ended up like, we were playing this place that had like a golf course. We ended up pulling these golf buggies out. And basically dicking around on this golf buggy. We never actually used it. We were playing around on this golf buggy. And then we took loads of photos of us like on this golf buggy, like way hey, being a dick. And then we put it away again. And then the next day we're at a show and Kevin Lyman, the guy who runs Warp Tour comes onto our bus. And it's just like, you guys are about to be kicked off Warp Tour because you destroyed those golf buggies last night. And we're like, We've got photographic proof that we were being dickheads and that's what got us out of it because the <laughs> photographic proof we had was that we left them fine at the end ah. of the night and we didn't end up getting kicked off it, but we ended up having to open probably for the next four shows to so play at 11 o'clock in the morning. So we, and they, we were having this one night where we were playing at like 9pm, we're on stage, Alexis on fire, we're on the tour at that time and Frank's like giving this speech about you know, we've got more heart than every band you've seen playing here. What you've just seen for the last... Oh, its more. There's more passion and more energy in this show. And he was like, you know, the heart of this band. And from the corner of my eye, I just saw Dallas Green come bowling <laughs> through the
1: crowd. <laughs> and <just> <laughs> <running> <laughs>
3: straight towards <laughs> the stage. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, what the fuck is he doing? Frank's halfway through this speech and you just hear this voice just shout, Hey, Frank! And everyone goes quiet and just goes... I've got more heart than you, and just turned around and walked off. <laughs> we were just like, for fuck's sake. I mean, everyone in the world, we knew it was going to be him.
2: Bastard. Oh. The only way he could have done it any better is if he'd sung it in his beautiful voice. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that too, and It was fucking brilliant. Oh, we did Taste of Chaos together as well. That was fun. Yeah, yeah that was wild. We're, with we um, were well Splinter Rise Against the Rise Used at Aiden.
3: Aiden.
1: Mm,
3: yes.
1: Yeah, Rise Against the Used. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rise and then Against some other guys.
3: <laughs> yeah, but like that, I remember that tour because we had my little brother who came and filmed loads of stuff with us, and he um he came out and he was filming all these bits that ended up going on YouTube. So if you if you watch any footage of gallows on youtube that has any bits of us just not playing and talking to camera my little brother filmed all of it and there was a point he was deciding do i go to uni or not and frank and i were just talking to him frank was like fuck it if we pay for your plane tickets and we buy you a camera do you want to just come on tour and travel the world with us instead so johnny was like yeah fuck it all right cool i'll do that and on that taste of chaos tour there's a bit where we're in the dressing room and you guys have just come off stage into the room. And it's this bit, and I think it's still on YouTube and it's maybe you're having a conversation to the camera, but with lags. And I just remember on the final cut of the video, you guys are all talking and Johnny's just put in subtitles, something in Welsh. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just for the whole time. It's there. It just says something in Welsh at the bottom because he was like, at the end, he was like, I'm not fucking clue what they're saying when they all talk together. I just can't keep up with
2: it. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. That's the whole yeah. point of that. Um, literally, yeah, literally. I remember one of the shows, I think we were it was somewhere like Sweden or, or it was, yeah, it was one of them kind of easterly European countries. And I remember during the end of, um, uh, Casanova, the hardest thing, someone started doing like an echo. The echo call back. So Lags is going, the hardest thing! And then someone else will go, the hardest thing! And I just remember everyone just couldn't keep it together because this guy was so off-putting. And I think that might have been the show where Frank went on stage with a bad stomach and then he farted instantly and ran over the side of the stage and he was like, I think i shit myself. And then just <laughs> ran back and carried on. I don't think he had shit himself, but fucking hell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, some of my f- my my most fun and my favorite times were some of those shows at Gallows.
3: Um, yeah, what a fucking what a bunch. It was it, it it was a different time then as well. Do you know what I mean? Like it was. I remember talking to someone recently, and I was just like, "Yeah, when we released those records, Instagram and Spotify didn't exist." Mm. And they were just they looked at me and they were just like, "How old are you?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah I, am, I am that old." Yeah, those things haven't been around forever. <laughs>
4: Well, well, that's the thing with these like stories and everything. I mean, you guys had such a punk legacy for just having wild shows, whether it was literally the crowd going insane or you just doing funny stuff off the side of it and things like that. Is there any other things that just come flooding back when, uh, when you open up the vault and talk about these stuff? Or, cause I'm sure there's a nice mixture of really funny stuff, but really intense shows as well. We did, um, what's
3: that festival in Brighton? Great Escape in Brighton. We played the Great Escape in Brighton. First time we ever played it was 2000 and oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 2007. Great Escape. And we were playing and we looked at the lineup and it was like foals were playing and we were playing over foals, which looking at that now is fucking hilarious <laughs> to see how that billing was. But when we played this show and we were headlining over foals and we got there and we were just like... this is weird. Like we're headlining over folds, but it says like one 30, like what's going on? Like they're playing at like, like lunchtime. We're playing, we got them. We're like, no, we played one 30 in the morning. We, we turned up to load in at 11 AM and it was 11 PM loading. So we're there like, ah, fuck. So we were having this conversation. We were just like, right. What would be really funny? Cause it was an NME showcase. We were like, what'd be really funny. Let's just go on stage turn our guitars on, play one note, throw the guitars on the floor and just walk off and that's the show. And we were like, you know, like, let's make a fucking statement. So we ended up like- The statement is- We go on, <laughs> everyone's sitting there, we're ready. We're all looking at each other and we're all like, are we actually going to do that or are we going to play the set? So we play the first note, Stu turns around with his bass and literally just hit me in the back of the head. And I like, the the dressing room door was on the side of the stage and there was a couple of stairs down to the dressing room. I literally fell straight down the stairs into the dressing room. (laughs) Stu quickly takes his bass off, runs down, Lags is still on stage, throws his guitar on the floor and he's like, fuck yeah, we're doing it. Runs into the dressing room and I'm just in the dressing room, just blood pissing down the back of my head. And we're there and we're just like, what do we do? Do we stop? Do we go on? And then we were like, oh, fuck it. Let's just go back on. So Frank got like, you know that like green blue towel you used to have like at school, that really horrible like <laughs> oh yeah that, the rough fat stuff. Put that on the back of my head and just got some gaffer tape and just gaffer taped it on for us to go and finish <laughs> the show. Apparently, we, I played the whole show in the crowd. I remember none of it. I remember falling off the stage and then I remember being in A&E later with someone sewing my head back together and going, oh, he's going to be sick. <laughs> That's Ooh. all I remember. <laughs> Nurse Frank. Absolutely useless <laughs> Nurse Frank. Like, yeah, I'm Nurse Frank, yeah, because he's uh, he might be better now after he's had, he's had his daughter, but he used to have a real thing that if someone got sick around him, he'd be sick. So <laughs> they're like, oh, he's going to be sick. You just saw his face turn green <laughs> and run out the door to be like, I can't be here. Yeah, there's there's shit like that that you don't – you remember it all of a sudden coming back. We did that. I remember we played a show once at the O2 Islington Academy, and it was the small room where, like, the stage had this weird, like – had these, like, weird pillars either side of the stage that were, like, plasterboard, basically. And I remember Frank running from side to side, and I remember him knocking me over, and I ended up falling through the plasterboard wall on the side came out with my guitar and I was like, oh, fuck, it still works. And then a couple of weeks later, we went on tour and played like some shows of Rage Against the Machine and my guitar got broken by Jet on a fucking flight back from Italy. But I remember like, I've been through a fucking wall and it can't survive an Jet flight. Like, this is (laughs) bullshit. But that as well, we played this show of Rage Against the Machine. First time I'd ever been to Italy was playing a football stadium with Rage Against the Machine. Wow. And I remember we were playing this show and we were like, I can't remember the band's name. It was a band from Italy, and they were fucking massive. And they opened, and we went on after them, and then it was Rage. So we were all like, this is fucking – why is this happening? And I remember playing this show, and I was just like – I'm sure you've had weird shit thrown at you while you've been on stage. Yeah. People were throwing, like, baguettes and sandwiches, <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> We're not French! Great Britain! great britain and that's, <laughs> i'm sitting there and i'm just like this is, this is the weirdest thing i've ever had thrown
4: at me is a fucking full baguette, <laughs> <A> baguette. <laughs> wait, that wait, is good wait did it have a filling in it or was it just like i'm, I'm sure it was ham
1: i'm sure it was <laughs> ham
4: and i'm sure it had some lettuce in it as well but it, yeah just seeing these things fly at you and you're just like oh
3: do i duck it no it's a, it's a sandwich like just watching it go by on the stage but yeah, like, I know this. And they're, they're the other things that come back. Like, we played, we did, we did a couple of shows with Radiance Machine. We did that free show they did at, um, in the park in London after they got the Christmas number one. We played that show. We played the football stadium in France. We played the O2 Arena in Dublin. And my mum came to the show with us. And I remember we were all in our dressing room. And we were all in the dressing room. My mum was with us. And then there was a knock at the door. And I just get up, open the door. And I'm like, you're Tom Morello. And then it just comes in. And it's just like, hey, guys, really glad you're on the show. Feel free to come down to the dressing room. They have a t- like a ping pong table that travels everywhere with them. So I like, come down, we're all just playing some games in the dressing room. So we're all just like, okay, Tom Morello. <laughs> 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 went down to the dressing room. And I remember like it was Go-Go Bordello were on the tour of us as well. And it was just like at one point, they were like, right, who wants to go? And then it's like, I remember Frank getting up to play. And it was just me and my mum sat there and she just looked at me. And she just <laughs> went... He's playing ping pong with Tom Morello, the <laughs> machine. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, right. mum, this is fucking weird, right? <laughs> and it's it's that sort of shit that yeah. like when when you're in it, when you're in it, you think, wow, this is this is this is weird and this is my life. But it's when you're when when you're older and you're able to look back on it, you're able to look back on it and go, My life is fucking mental (laughs) (laughs) when i think about it you know the age i am now i look back on it and i'm like fuck all the shit i did when i was younger i didn't realize i was doing it was fucking ridiculous and the more you look back on it the more you look back on it and you go yeah you you just can't explain that or ever think that would be what your life is and that's the thing i love about music you have no idea where it's going to take you because It's a fucking roller coaster. Yeah.
4: And it is, it's just one giant journey, but especially having those experiences with Rage Against Machine, because people know how much that band meant to you and Frank in particular. Oh, man. Fucking like, we used to have this VHS tape that my dad, my dad used to travel
3: a lot for work and he used to go to America and he used to come back with all these like weird, like VHS tapes in like cardboard cases. I remember he came back one time and he was just like, I got you this. And he was like, I'm pretty sure you have a CD of it. Take it. And it was, a, it was just a Rage Against the Machine live VHS tape where it was just loads of different performances of them live. We, we used to live across the street from our secondary school. So like we'd come home at lunchtime and put the tape on and just sit and watch this Rage Against the Machine fucking VHS tape. Watching these things going, how cool would it be to do that for a job? And then fast forward like 10 years and you're sitting there fucking playing table tennis with him in his dressing room.
1: <laughs> and it's like <laughs> it's bonkers, that, that yeah.
3: band. Yeah, that band meant the world to us like growing up. And the fact that we got to experience that stuff with them is mind-blowing. Yeah. From, yeah. When you think about like from the Horn in St.
2: Albans to like <laughs> touring with Rage Against the Machine, yeah. it's fucking mad, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's bonkers. Yeah. It, was there any ever, did Girls have any, have any fans like celebrity fans that we might not have known about or was there anybody <laughs> yeah. that ever you know
3: China the wrestler yeah <laughs> <laughs> the 8th or ninth wonder of the well, world yeah, yeah I we, know China we go yeah. with this? fucking loved Gallows no
2: what of course she fucking did absolutely yes.
3: loved Gallows and like I, I can't remember where her hometown's going to be now I'm going to be a twat if I say the wrong thing so whatever her hometown is she'd always come out to the shows and was like super nice super polite, just fucking loved it. And like Ethan Suppley, like the actor fucking loved gallows as well. So like we had these, these weird things of like these people who I used to love wrestling when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, guys I said, no, no, up yes, it? It. that's China. Wow. She's our show. <laughs> Since I, so that, yeah, that, that it was that sort of shit that happened. That was weird. I remember we had, we had a show once where we were playing the hundred club. And our press person um, at Warner Brothers, also is Deftones press person, a lovely lady called Emma Van Dyke. And she, she called us and she was just like, show sold out. And she's like, I've got two people that want to come to the show. And we're just like, we don't know what to do. And she's like, trust me, you're going to want to meet these people. And we're like, okay, all right, fair enough. So I was with Frank, he was like, right. Emma's phone in, we've got to go and open the fire door, the sets a fire alarm on, to sneak these people in, to shut the fire door so the alarm stops and goes off. And this was like really early on in the band's career. I think we either had only just signed the record deal or we were just about to sign the big record deal. I remember going to the door and like she knocked on it. We quickly opened the door, put these people in, and then I looked up and it's fucking Abe from Deftones. And like they're one of my favorite bands of all time, and I just remember looking up as like Chino, and they were just like, "Hey, I'm Chino," and I just looked, and I went, "Yeah, I know," <laughs> and that's all I said, <laughs> and I was like, "Fucking what?" And they just were like, "Okay, man, cool," and just went and watched the show, and I was like, "You fucking dickhead." But yeah, it's like that that sort of shit. So fa- the famous fans, China, is pro- probably the most obscure one, but also awesome at the same time. But we, I think we were gallows were gallows were a bit of a band's band. So they were the fans of the band were people who we also grew up like admiring and loving. But, but yeah, as far as like <laughs> obscure ones, China, she's probably the, the best. That's
4: <laughs> definitely my favorite one so far that we've heard China. I once heard the rumor. I don't, this is probably completely wrong. And someone's whispered it so far that it's deluded. Apparently, didn't Daniel Radcliffe apparently come to a gig and crowds of naked or something? Naked.
1: Oh, that's right. What, I I don't d- know.
4: What? Uh, allegedly. what? Allegedly. did he come straight? Allegedly. Did he come
2: straight from our play when he was like an equestrian when he was bollock naked on the west end and he went straight
3: to see gallows? What? So I've never seen Daniel Radcliffe naked. That's, <laughs> well, let's get that straight now. You're missing out, Steph. You're missing out. <laughs> it's Reading crazy. Festival. 2009 Frank is walking through the VIP area and two people in cosplay come up to him can we please have our picture taken with you and they're like Star Wars cosplay and it's Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grint and they're like we really love the band and they just had these masks on so no one would talk to them all day because they didn't want to get swamped and they were just like he was stood there I think my mum's got the photo of it but he stood there and it's just like him and Daniel Radcliffe and he's just like Daniel Radcliffe absolutely loved the band and just really wanted his picture taken with Frank. Yeah,
2: nice. Wizard Core. What a fucking, yeah. What a band like. What a fuck, yeah. Oh, wow. Fucking brilliant. Yeah, I saw, um yeah, I saw Kaz Madge's photo with uh, Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Rupert Grint from the same time as well. Um, I think they were both slightly inebriated as well, if I remember the photo. China! <laughs> I can't believe China! How did she end up coming? Would you, did she, was she emailing Gallows? Like, how did she get into the gigs? Like, I'm,
3: uh, I'm pretty sure she bought a ticket and then bought a t-shirt from merch. Cause lags came over and went, you'll never guess. who I've just sold a t-shirt to. And we look over and he's like, she's here for the rest of the show. And we're all like, that's fucking China. All of us were just like, I didn't know we
2: made muscle t shirts like <laughs> yeah, That's fucking yeah, what the that's fuck? fucking
3: China, Xena warrior princess or whatever it was. As
1: <laughs> yeah, well, like.
2: yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh. That's fucking do you know what? We've never had a China or an obscure wrestler like that's fucking yeah, brilliant. And, I we, love and we've had
4: wrestlers on, and that has never been brought up. Yeah. So, fair play, you win there, you win there. Oh, uh, I wish China like my band. <laughs> as we start to uh, wind down on the conversation now, and we're talking about all these uh, wonderful memories. People would absolutely kill me if I didn't ask this question. So obviously you mentioned there that you mentioned earlier that there's been conversations in the past about maybe, you know, the original lineup doing something to celebrate an album or anything like that. How close has it been? And what do you think would actually need to happen for it to all line up?
0: Planning for your next trip, elevate your travel style with Quinns.
3: So how close it's actually been is we had two nights at Brixton on hold. It's how Ooh. close it got. Ooh. That's how close it got. It got to having two nights on, uh, on hold at Brixton. Um, and everyone, everyone was on board. And then c- certain people are for more than would have made it viable. I'm trying to find the, like the most like PC way of saying it. Um, <laughs> What what it what it would take to actually happen now? I think what it would actually take to happen now is everyone's diaries aligning at the right time. I think is actually the only thing that would, is really holding it back. Obviously, Frank's got rattlesnakes, and rattlesnakes is a beast in its own right that is like well on the way to being that one of those crossover bands that transitions into a wider audience that that's always what he wanted from gallows originally. And then when he did pure love, it was the same thing. So, you know, he's got that lags has got his own record label going on. Stu is working for raw power in America. He's at the driving's manager. Which is wild. And then you say, that out loud. <laughs> um,
2: if you had told me in 2009, I would have punched you in the face of being a it, liar.
3: Yeah. It, like this. It, so I good think. Good on him. What, good on him. I yeah. mean, what Class. it would take to make it work now would be everyone's diaries aligning exactly the right time where everyone has enough time to do the rehearsals and to do it. to mm. do it right. Because obviously, like you know, there's there's limiting factors of the fact that in order for us to do it right, we'd probably want to put on a show that's probably going to cost a fucking shitload of money to do it the right way now. So that you know, cost of it is obviously a factor that will come into play for it. But I think more than anything, it's just a line in getting everyone's diaries to fall at exactly the right point where everyone can turn around and go, yeah, you know what, I haven't got anything a month before or a month after that that's the date that I think we can make this work. And then whatever venue we decide to do, actually being free at the same time, (laughs) do it as well. But yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think that would be it, but closest we ever got. Yeah. Two nights on hold where we were discussing support bands. Oh, wow. Well, quick. Yeah. Right, Dan, let's work this out because they're going to reopen Brixton Academy.
2: <laughs> that, that's, that's been announced. So, yeah, one of the first gigs back. That'd be fucking unbelievable. Uh, I imagine. Like, like I told you at Trees, I literally spent two hours trying, to tr- literally trying to butter you up to get this to happen. One of the things that got the blackout, the rest of the boys back in the blackout, I never left. So they are welcome for me letting them back in. I didn't have to, but I did was the fact that how much other people wanted it, and we didn't realize because we were like, "Oh, people don't give a shit anymore." And then, I, like, I've started a new band. Still, still, whenever I play those gigs, people are like, "You should get a black band together." And I'm like, "All right, fucking trying this. Let me try this." People fucking want it, Steph. Like, I know it would be even if you just did. I don't know, like, you did like first two records, whatnot. You know, whatever, whatever. Yeah, whatever you do, people will do it for the fucking brilliant memory because everybody who ever liked Gallows has got a fucking show that they went to that they fucking love. i got probably fucking tens, if not hundreds of gala <laughs> shows that I went to that I fucking love, that I've got moments from. People will fucking absolutely love it. If it came to it and I had to buy all 5,000 tickets to Oof. the Academy, um, <laughs> I'd have a go. I wouldn't afford it. Like, no, I'd have tickets. I, <laughs> I definitely have a go. Please keep it in mind. Please tell the other boys. Like I know they don't go flying fuck what well, my opinion is but genuinely everybody would fucking love it. There were so many fucking brilliant moments. Like I was telling you, like I, when I had a Google of Gallo's um, TJs, I ended up watching the show where you had lethal fucking Bizzle. Like that's fucking (laughs) mental. Like, like how did that even come about? Like who was, who put who in touch with who for that? So
3: we, the first year we did South by Southwest, uh, he was playing and we, I remember we we did a show, and I think I can't remember if like if Frank had messaged him on Instagram or something. Or it would have probably been sorry, it would have been MySpace. We've already discovered yeah. Instagram didn't yeah. exist there Let me get my facts <laughs> right. It would have been on MySpace, I mean. But I'm sure I'm sure it was Frank was like this guy that I've been talking to is playing. We should go. So we went over and watched Bizzle play this show, and like it was the day we got into Texas. It was like 11 p.m. at night. So we we're fucking. On another planet, because I was just so exhausted, but we went and watched this show, and then the next day he came to watch our show, and I think it was the first time he'd ever been in a pit himself and just threw himself right in the middle of it, and afterwards was like, "You guys are fucking crazy, this is the best thing ever and it's funny because it's like being on stage playing and South by Southwest is this really weird, was this really weird thing at the time it's more corporate now than it ever was before but it was this really weird thing where we'd be playing and you'd look down and you'd just be like, that's Lethal Bizzle in the middle of the pit. And that's Tom, <laughs> that's Tom Morello still on the edge of the pit watching. And like, that's Chad from Newfound Glory stood on the other side of the pit, <laughs> watching there. And then we'd leave that show and we went to play another show and we're playing the show and we're just like, we're going on before Amy Winehouse. That's Amy Winehouse playing next. Wow. This is the weirdest fucking thing ever. It was that? We met him at South by and we were going into the studio a couple of weeks after um to do the b-sides for orchestra of wolves so we orchestra of wolves had already been recorded and we went in and we did um what were the songs sick of feeling sick and black heart queen we did those two songs and then the label were like we need a cover and they were like you know what would be a really good one is if you did staring at the roof boys And we were like, all right, fair enough. We could do Staring at the Rude Boys, but like, what can we do to make it different? And that was it. Frank was just like, I'm going to phone Lethal Bizzle and I'm going to ask him if he'd be up being (laughs) on track. And that was literally it. We just called him up. He was like, yeah, I'm in. Came straight down to do it. And then we were just like, you know, I'll be really fucking hilarious. Let's go on tour together. And the tour was ridiculous because the the tour was Black Hole, Lethal Bizzle, Poison the Well and Gallows. <laughs> I forgot Poison
2: the Well were on it! I forgot Poison the Well were on it!
4: That was the billion. <laughs> Unbelievable. Insane. That was the yeah. fucking tour. Insane. Oh. Imagine,
3: imagine that tour
4: today. Oh, that'd
3: be <laughs> It was fucking wild. But yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. It's a different time back then. I mean, music's like the Wild West most of the time anyway. <laughs> and when you see a lineup like that, yeah, it's no different. But that was it. Like, we just... We got on really well with him. And then for a while, he was in the same management company as us as well. So he was on Raw Power for a little while as well. And, you know, we ended up, we talked about doing more. I think the boys in Gallows went and did a song with him as well. He did he did Babylon's Burning. Um, so I think Lag played some guitar on it. I think Lee played some drums on it. And then they got my little brother from Black Hole, Rick. Rick went and did vocals on it as well. So like he came and guested on the Gallows track, and then Gallows and Black Hole went and guested on one of his tracks as well. <laughs> Mad, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell.
2: Well, yeah. Well, well for the reunion shows, they're steering the Rude boys and be laughing <laughs> there. It? It's in it's in Brixton, I'd imagine. Lethal Bizzle's down our way. Like you can nip in, Connie. I mean, you know, the doors always open. Doors always open. Well, I tell you what. When I finish all the all the production plans I've got for the Gallows reunion, and I'll send them over to you, because I would
3: fucking love to see it. As would many others. I mean, I would as well. I'd love to see it as well. Like for me, you know, when I left the band, I was in. Uh, I had I had a lot of ill feelings towards the project at the time. But like looking back on it now, like yeah, I'd fucking love to do it again and be able to like end it the right way and be able to just enjoy it because you know, I get people message me all the time about how much the band meant to them. And I, I, I feel the same as a lot of other people doing the position I'm in, which is no one gives a fuck until like, I do these like riff videos on Instagram or something. And every now and again, I play Gallo's riff. And then I see the comment section. I'm just like, wow, fuck, people really do like this shit.
1: And I forget <laughs> because for me, it was just
3: like, it was, it was, it was just a, it was a job really. It's, what it was, which is a stupid way to look at it. It was just a job. But that was it for me. I I, I forget that it had such a profound impact on so many people because for me, it was it was it just quite as well, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't see it. I, I, I wish I was able to see it from someone else's
4: perspective. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But it's nice to see that you're at a place now where you kind of appreciate those days and are open to uh, a reunion, fingers crossed, if it can uh, work itself yeah. out eventually. Because I was going to say, you know, relationships like that can be the fine line between the emotions of it and trying not to think of the business inside and everything like that. So so yeah, fingers crossed that uh, something can work out eventually.
2: Oh, I can't wait to see your face, right? When it happens, I'm going <laughs> to be there, right? and I'm going to watch your face while you are playing to, sh- so you can see so I see you feeling the love
3: that I know you will receive. I mean, hit, fingers crossed, fingers crossed at one point it happens before we're all old and fucked and broke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, I'm well on my way to there already. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, we won't keep you for too much longer because also I don't want Sean just keeping the rest of this interview begging <laughs> for the reunion to happen. <laughs> um But I mean, dude, you seem very busy all the time with your job and all these other projects and continuing to be a, a songwriter and producing and you know, writing all these riffs that you said you've got uh, these 52 ideas for and everything. But yeah, what what else is there kind of people should should look out for you know, talking about working with other people is that something you're just always doing i mean but
3: yeah basically if anyone asks i'll give it a shot um the the one that's the next on the list is like my wife and i were in a band called lioness together and because of my my job getting a lot busier we had to stop it but I've just been in the studio with her working on the first few tracks for her new project, a project called GG Gold that's going to be dropping at some point, probably early next year. Um, but yeah, we've spent time working on that together. And we had Gaz, the drummer for Rattlesnakes, came and played drums on it. And a friend of mine called uh, Tommy played guitar. And then one of the guys who works at the studio here, at Marshall Ollie, played bass on it. And we kind of just, we had a couple of songs. We went into the studio with to bare bones of three songs. And over the course of three days, it was one of the most like easy, stress-free musical experiences ever because all of us in the room just wanted the best for the song. And we all went in and over three days, we crafted these three fucking incredible songs for her new project to go. And uh, she's just finished recording those now. We're about to send them off to get them mixed and then they'll be going in to get mastered and then, yeah, hopefully dropping them at some point early next year and then hoping that this is going to be the start of a very long journey for her to have some of the same weird and wild experiences that I've had in music. I'd love for her to see it and to see some of the shit that I saw because like we said, it is, it's it's the best. It can be shit, but it's the best job in the world at the same time. <laughs> Yeah.
2: Well, we'll have to have her on when the, um, when the album's yeah. about to come out. Yeah. We'll 100%. have to have her on to have a chat. Yeah. That'd be wicked. Oh, yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so.
4: I'm looking forward to, to hearing all of this and especially these, uh, 52 different vocalists. So, um, yeah. yes. You're in, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm definitely Done. I'm 100 percent right. in yeah. your January.
3: <laughs> oh fuck,
2: yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna need it in uh forty-five minutes, Sean. So if you can send that over. You have got a microphone if I you right now. I need the um I need the tuned final stems over by three by well, it's gone three o'clock. By five o'clock. But yeah. Done. Easy. I'd be fucking honored. But yeah, uh please don't make that a thing where you're like, oh I've gotta ask Sean
3: now. No, you they're coming your way, so don't you worry about that.
2: <laughs>
4: that's what we yes Welsh rap that's what we wanted on those tracks uh, everyone's favourite Welsh rap oh, oh, but but Steph thank you so much for taking the time to do this this has been absolutely beautiful really enjoyed these conversations and thank you for being so honest and just uh, yeah looking forward to, to seeing what's next and uh, got fingers crossed for uh, many a thing many a thing thank you both very, thank you both very
3: much for having me it's been a really good time to just have a chat and have fun I haven't smiled this much in ages.
2: Oh, nice. Thank you. Well, no, thank you. Because, yeah, that chat of fucking trees, like I said, it was one of my, it was my second favorite highlight of the festival season. I've got to say that because oh, the blackout came yeah, back. Yeah, yeah but, I
4: was thinking then. What yeah, you it then. Wasn't, if it wasn't <laughs> for that download
2: show. You know what? was so sorry about that, the Steph.
3: guy with the parrot.
2: Oh, <laughs> no, remember that? <laughs> Emotional support
4: parrot. What? Get a fucking hamster, you can put it in your pocket, bro. Fair play though. I saw him taking the parrot to catering. Um oh, and fuck you're literally sick. eating with the parrot. And I'm not I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but the amount of attention he would get from certain people, um, yeah, maybe that's why I don't know. This is a weird way to end this conversation, really, isn't it? But we've 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 digressed to a parrot.
2: I am going to get a parrot for <laughs> next festival season off. So we've Man,
3: all learned. Can't, I can't wait to meet it.
4: <laughs> <laughs> thank you very
2: much for this. Like, thank you for being friends. Thank you for um, the fantastic music over the years. Yeah. It's just wonderful to see you helping the future of music as well, because uh, they're in very, very, very good fucking hands. I love you.
3: Tidy. I love you guys both. Thank you very, very much for the friendship and the
1: memories as well.
2: that was the mighty steph carter of gallows the ghost riders in the sky lioness and marshall amplification i'll just put all of marshall amplification because he's done so many jobs (laughs) there, and he talked so much about how the brilliant things marshall's marshall are doing i heard that
4: they're now turning marshall they're changing the name to carter because of him Oh. Wow, well, that says a lot, really, doesn't it? I mean, he does seem like uh, he's a very, very busy bee, especially writing 40 songs in 30 days. And I'm excited to see where all that kind of project and stuff happens. But wow, what, many an, songs.
1: <laughs>
4: what an interesting conversation. I love doing episodes like this where you get a real insight into a certain period of someone's life and then all the other stuff they've been up to that maybe fans of the music might have not realized. And kept up with. So it's, it's nice to get an insight into all of that. Fingers crossed that uh, original gallows do the shows eventually. But we know how how busy all of them are individually. I mean Frank's killing it and Steph mentioned about where everyone else is getting up to. So uh, yeah, fingers crossed and we'll we'll see what comes of that. Got haven't they? Got Come on then, boys, for fuck's sake.
2: Make it happen, bud. make it happen, please. Please, raiders will buy on the tour. We oh. will pay to, to play the shows. I so, just, uh,
4: I'm well. I'm just hoping a festival listens to this and books Gallows and the Blackout. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Like, it would be all right. <laughs> oh, um, two dozen trees, slam dunk.
2: Red in and all leads. Do that then. <laughs> Do that. Yeah. Do that then. Please get a Blackout and Gallows on the same fucking festival this year. I dare someone. <laughs> I fucking dare you. Please. <laughs> Just seeing Steph's face and chatting to him literally made me very, very happy. I love that man. As I said, I love his family very, very much because they've all been absolutely fucking tidy to me. And they didn't need to be when they were the cool punk rock band coming up. And I was in one of those singy uh Catchy bands. So, yes, I appreciate them. Very, very, yeah, catchy bands.
4: Just love (laughs) Pokemon. You just love Pokemon. That's what it was.
2: Yeah. That's what, yeah. Quick changes (laughs) of
4: If if anyone has any suggestions for other guests you'd like us to speak to in the future, let us know at pod on the Instagram and the platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, oh, and all of these kind of, yeah, I don't know. It's all a fucking mess. That's up. what we call was... it. From, no, that's what we call <laughs> it from now on. Yeah. <laughs> The aptist formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> oh, there's other platforms we need to like make and sort out and stuff, but we're too old for that, man. There's too many of them. I just want to do the podcast and then go IRS and then. Have we got a threads uh, account yet? Yeah, no, we, we need got to sort that enough. out. I and mean, that's, that's my, my to-do list account. and all that. But oh, also,
2: I'll tell you, you rather than tell you offline, but, uh, yeah, I can't get into the, um, every time I click the sappening pod Instagram in my Instagram list, it, Goes on in for a second and it says, You have been logged out. And I cannot oh. get back. I can't log out. I can't go back to the <laughs> home screen. So for a second, I can see the feed.
1: Right. And then
2: it goes, Ah, you have no access to this, you fucking prick. And I'm like, But I do, though, don't I? That's my
4: face. face. <laughs> <laughs> so Fuck sort face. Of oh. Yeah. Well, oh, there we are. They see the two welshers trying to struggle with social media. So make sure to follow us and stuff because they're all helps. And um uh, I've been making a little video clips from certain uh, podcasts we've been doing as well. So if you want to uh, like a little our uh, faces for a minute, go, snippets. And go and check, yeah. yeah, snippets. That's I watched
2: it. the one of, uh, yeah, I watched the lo- the one of Cassidy Pope uh, this morning that we're on. And I really wish I'd done my hair for it <laughs> because my hair was a fucking mess. So go and check that out. As we said, check out patreon.com forward slash happening. It is the only way other than giving us... F- £20 notes in our hand when you see us in public. It's the only way to support the podcast. Please do it. If you've enjoyed any of the episodes, please think about helping the boys out. Patreon.com forward slash Sapman.
4: If you head to the description of this and every episode, there's loads of names there that we thank. But as always... Sean is going to give them a mohusive shout out to the elite members of our Patreon community. Those are the people in the top tier. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah, like Morgan said, thank you very much to everybody in the description. Everybody who's ever been part of Patreon. If you're thinking about joining, come on, man. Come on. Do it. Do it. Do it. You get some uh, behind the scenes news. I might have even leaked the blackout news on the Patreon before I told the general public. But don't tell my band. Anyway, thank you very much. Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Leeway, Janelle Caston, Paul Irshville, Tony Michael, Kelly and Dilly Grimwood, Natasha Morris, Emma Barber, Mitch Perry, Nathan Croshaw, Scarlett Charlton, Nathan White, Amy Louise, Alexandra Pemblington, Kat Besant, Molly Malloy and James Bowerbank, Jenny Robson, Murray Grimwood, Scott Jones, Amy Dorton, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Stephen Aston, Caroline Robson, Kate Puttick, Louis Cook, Martina McManus, Carl Pendlebury, Danny Eaton, James McNaught, Jenny Munster, Jason Aredia, John and Emma, M. Evans, Roberts, Craig Harris, Evan, Sean Foynes, Vicky, Emily Perry, Adam King of Gosparslow, Kalila Keane, Ollie Amesby, Josh, my missus Fungletters, I have been hiding, proving I was cheating on her, now, cheating on her. Now she refuses to play Scrabble with me. Thank you very much, Kyle David Smith. And last, my <laughs> nominees: Colin Lewinson, family. Don't give him the benefit. He came on to me at that fucking (laughs) Keris Keris fest and he was like, oh, you hated that joke. I was like, I hate you now. So, um, yes, thank you very much to all those people. Um, I don't really hate any of them at all. And that sounded like I was going to say something
4: else and and sneak something, (laughs) but I don't hate any of them. So thanks, Josh, for your fucking constantly terrible, terrible jokes. I appreciate every single person in that group helping make this happen each and every week. I appreciate anyone listening to this and just supporting us and these mad rambles. Uh, make sure you click subscribe wherever you're listening and we'll be back next week and every Friday with a very special guest for more laughs, maybe spilling some secrets and just some good times in between.
2: Tidy, yes. Let's fucking sort that gallow's room, you know.
4: Sapna! Sapna!
2: I don't know what the fuck that was. <laughs> I'm
1: losing my fucking mind. How's the world getting thicker? Top net.
2: You're listening to Sablin' Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't, I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, Thank you very much.